good morning, New City Church. Great to see all of you on our campuses today. And for those of you watching online, we're so grateful to have you here as well. Let me share a little bit of family news for our church before we jump into the message today. As you know, summertime is a time where a lot of our students, our next-gen ministries, are out and about at different camps and service opportunities. And just this past week, we had 60 different students in two different locations across the country serving and connecting with one another. We had 11 of those students who made a first-time commitment to follow Jesus. Five of those students, yeah, five of those students uh, made a decision to follow Jesus in baptism on Friday. And so we're just rejoicing and, and giving God thanks for all the wonderful things that He's doing. In and through our church, we've got uh, 14 students who are busy preparing to go to Ethiopia and serve with one of our global partners there. We've got five leaders that are leading them, so a total of 19 that are busy preparing a few weeks to go to Ethiopia, so be praying for them. And I'm actually going to lead a a prayer time over that team today here at the South Park campus. So if you'd like to come pray over that Ethiopia team with me, just meet me right up front here afterwards, and we'll walk back together, okay? Okay. We've been in a series uh, together through the book of Acts. We've been on a journey together walking through the book of Acts. And we talked about early on that the book of Acts is Luke's documentation of Jesus' great declaration. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And the book of Acts is the documentation of that great declaration of, of Jesus building his church. And so we've been walking through the book of Acts together as a church, and we've done it in a couple of different installments. The first installment, you'll remember, was a series entitled Witness. And we looked at Acts chapters 1 through 5. And if you missed any of those or you're just coming to New City and you want to catch up, all of those and the study guides are available on our app and our website where you can catch up there. We're in the second installment now entitled Beyond, where we're looking at Acts chapters 6 through 12. And then we'll finish up our journey together in the months of July, August, and September. This will take us all the way to the month of October, believe it or not. The final series is entitled Sent. And we'll be looking at Acts chapters 13 all the way to the end to chapter 28. And you'll want to be here for that. But today is the eighth and the final message, if you can believe it or not, in our Beyond series. We've been in it for just over two months, looking at Acts chapters 6 through 12. And today is going to be uh, chapter 12. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to encourage you to open them to Acts chapter 12. If you have the app, you can open it there. The scriptures already preloaded along with the notes. I want to give thanks for Ken and Stephen and Ryan for preaching through Acts chapter 11 last week. They each did a fantastic job across all three of our campuses, and all of those messages are available online to go back and listen to. Acts chapter 11, of course, is the story of the church at Antioch, and it's a very important shift because the story of Christendom begins to uh, move from Jerusalem being centered there to Antioch, and Antioch actually becomes the sending church for the gospel to go all over the world. And Antioch is also the first place where Christians are coined with that term, Christians. And the word Christian means those who belong to Christ. So a very appropriate word for those of us who are Christ followers. And that happens first at Antioch. Let's pick up today in Acts chapter 12, our text today, this final message in our Beyond series. And let's start with a little bit of context. Because if we ever take a a verse out of context, it becomes pretext, right? We've got to see the passage in context. We need to know the historical background so we understand what God is saying to us in His Word. So let's start with some context for our passage today. And let's look at verses 1 through 3 in Acts chapter 12. Let me read it to you. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged 
to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. Let's talk about a little bit of context here. Let's start with those first three words in Acts chapter 12 about that time. What does Luke mean about that time? Well, about that time, Acts chapter 12, our passage today, was about 10 years after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. So some 10 years has passed, a decade between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 12. And the church has been on a journey, hasn't it? The church has exploded from the 120 in the upper room to to thousands upon thousands, and it's gone beyond Jerusalem now into Judea and Samaria, and it's about to bust out from there into the utter ends of the earth. The gospel is on the move, and the church is multiplying. The word of God is increasing over the last 10 years. And the church has also experienced a season of peace, and you'll remember why. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus, the chief persecutor of the local church, is converted. And in that season, the church experiences a great season of peace, and it multiplies and explodes like no other time. And in that context, Acts chapter 12, verse 1, about that time, Herod the king lays violent hands on members of the church. Who is Herod the king? You probably read about his grandfather, Herod the Great. In Luke chapter 1, verse 5, of course, Luke wrote the gospel and Acts. And together they're written as one accord, one account of the gospel, the works of Jesus, and also the work and the building up of the church. And together the book of uh, Luke and Acts has more words than any other uh, two books in the New Testament. So Luke wrote more words than any other author in the New Testament. Paul wrote more books. Luke wrote more words. Herod the Great is introduced to us in the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1 verse 5 in the birth narrative of Jesus. This is his grandson, Herod Antipas, or Agrippa. Uh, Antipas was his uncle. Herod Antipas was his uncle, and that was the Herod that persecuted Jesus. So it's, it's difficult to keep all of our Herods correct. But here's the thing that all the Herods had in common. They all were crowd pleasers, people pleasers. They were all politicians. The Herods were puppets, if you will, to the Roman Empire. They made an agreement with the emperor of Rome to to keep this territory and to have jurisdiction over Judea and eventually Samaria as well. But an an agreement in that, they also had to do what Rome said. They were political puppets, and as such, they were crowd pleasers and politicians. So Herod is seeking the approval of the Jewish leadership. And seeking the approval of Jewish leadership, there was a play that worked over and over and over again. And if you're a coach and a play works, what do you do? Run it again. And if it works again, what do you do? You run it again until they stop it. You keep running it. And this play worked. Persecuting the church worked. When, when, when Her- the Herods would go after the church, they would gain and garner approval from the Jewish leadership. So Herod does that. He kills James. Now, who is James? Again, let's talk about a little bit of context here before we jump into the rest of our story. James is the apostle here. There's a couple of different Jameses. This is James the apostle, the brother of John. We read about their following Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. You'll remember that they're mending their nets, working for their father. Do you remember his name? Bonus question. Zebedee. 
Their father, Zebedee, and their business, they were fishermen. So they're mending their nets. They're working for their father. Jesus passes by the sea, and he calls out to James and to John and says, come and follow me. And Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, I think for parents, this is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Immediately, they drop their nets, and they follow after Jesus, leaving their father. And shouldn't that be the prayer of all of us as dads and as moms, as parents, that when Jesus walks by our kids and he calls to them, that they immediately drop their nets and they follow after him. And we applaud. We don't run after them and say, come back. What are we going to do without you? That's not what Zebedee does. He blesses his sons to go and follow Jesus. And so they've been journeying with Jesus for 12, 13 years. And this is the same James that left his nets, that left his father Zebedee and followed after Jesus. He's executed by Herod, probably by beheading. And now Peter has been arrested. But verse 3 in context tells us that it's the feast of the unleavened bread. And this is very important to understand because in context, the feast of the unleavened bread that's mentioned by Luke here in Acts chapter 12, verse 3, were the seven days following the Passover meal. This was an annual celebration. It was considered holy, and there were no executions that were allowed to take place during that seven-day period. It was the first of three yearly feasts that the Jews celebrated. And the Mosaic law required that all Jewish males attend this. So Jerusalem would have been hopping with people, and namely Jews who were celebrating Israel. They were celebrating in a patriotic way what God had done. And Herod picks this very moment to grandstand by killing James and arresting Peter, persecuting the church, and garnering attention and favor from Jewish leadership. And in this context, you'll understand with me, it creates a biting irony, doesn't it? Because the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was a celebration of the rescue of Israel from bondage in Egypt. And now they've bound Peter as he comes to proclaim to them freedom from their spiritual bondage. Jesus is the better Moses who has come to lead his people out of slavery, to rescue them. And in an irony, a moment of irony, Peter sits in a prison bound as they're celebrating their freedom from Egypt. So James is dead and Peter sits in prison awaiting certain execution. It wasn't because Herod was a nice guy and he decided not to kill Peter in that moment. It was because the law forbid, uh, forbid any uh, type of, of execution to take place during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So Peter is in prison awaiting certain execution, and then this happens. Acts chapter 12, verses 4, and let's go through 17 today. 4 through 17. And when he had seized him, who is he? Anybody with me? You guys awake? Who is he? Herod. When he, Herod, Agrippa, had seized whom? Peter. He put him into prison, delivering him, Peter, over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Now, a squad was made up of four soldiers. So there's four squads that are made up of four. So how many soldiers are guarding this one man, Peter? Sixteen. This is sixteen on one. Herod is saying, you are not going to escape again, Peter. We're not going to allow you to escape. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. This is a model of prayer for us, church. Earnest prayer was made for him, Peter, to God by the church. Verse 6, now when Herod was about to bring him out, bring Peter out on the very night, 
Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. Verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up! And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Verse 11. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel, and here's our word, rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where they were, they were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came and answered. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they, and they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they, when they opened, they saw and were amazed. Verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them all that the Lord had, or, that the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. May God bless the reading of his word to each of you today. If I had to entitle this section of scripture, this very important section, passage of scripture, I would entitle it, How to Be Rescued. How to Be Rescued. Peter needed to be rescued. I wonder how many of you in here today need to be rescued. Do you need to be rescued spiritually? Maybe you need to be rescued from something physically. Maybe you need to be rescued from something relationally. Maybe you need to remember how God has rescued you. If I had to put a title on this passage of Scripture, it would be How to Be Rescued. And I would say four things about it. And the first thing I would say in How to Be Rescued would be you've got to recognize your need. Look at the text with me, verses 4 and 5. Peter certainly recognizes his need to be rescued. He's got 16 soldiers that are guarding him, and he's bound with two chains to two of them who are beside him. He's not going to make it out unless God miraculously intervenes. He must be res rescued, and he recognizes his need. Harriet Tubman, the great emancipator of slaves, said, I rescued thousands of slaves. And I could have rescued thousands more if they had only realized that they were slaves. The prerequisite for liberation is recognition of your need. For those of you who grew up being lifeguards and you were trained to rescue people from the waters, you're also trained to tell them to stop resisting. One of the great dangers of rescuing people who are in the water is that they'll do what? They'll pull you down. 
And so rescuers are trained to tell others to cease your resistance and allow me to rescue you. And this is a wonderful picture for us spiritually. We must cease our resistance and allow the great rescuer Jesus to come and to rescue and to do what only Jesus can do. Beloved, you're not going to make it on your own. You're not going to make it. It's only through the cross of Jesus, his rescuing, that we can be redeemed and made right and made whole. Amazing grace doesn't become amazing until you recognize your amazing need. When you recognize the gap between you and Jesus, when you recognize your great need, that's when grace becomes amazing. That's when the work of Jesus becomes amazing. And our recognition precedes that. So often we think we can rescue ourselves, don't we? We think our, our moralistic behavior, our, our endeavors, our service, our, 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 our dress, our, our language, our, our, our background, our education, our, our finances, whatever it might be, we think that we can rescue ourselves. And it keeps us from our true rescuer, Jesus. If you're looking for a, a summer book to read, I just finished this one entitled The Unsaved Christian. The Unsaved Christian. It's a book about how people were grow, or grew up in spirituality and in Christendom and, and they grew up in the church and because of all that culturally they think they're somehow Christians without having to make the choice knowing their own need to be rescued by Jesus. David wrote this about his rescue in Psalm 18. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my rescuer. The focus on self that each of us is tempted to have, our self-focus, our perpetual self-focus, making the story about ourselves, making me the center of attention, that self-focus keeps me from seeing Jesus and his beauty. The number one thing that the enemy wants to hand each of us is a mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? The enemy wants you to look at yourself to take your eyes off of Jesus. The first step in being rescued straight from the scriptures is to recognize that if God doesn't come through, you're through. But God's office, here's the good news, beloved. God's office is at the end of your rope. When you cease working, God works. When you cease resistance and recognize your need to be rescued, that's when God shows up. How to be rescued, recognize your need. Secondly, I said there were four, here's the second. Trust in God. Trust in God. Peter has no other option. He has to trust in God for his rescue. Look at verse 6. What is Peter doing while he's bound between two soldiers awaiting certain execution the very night before his execution, his last night on earth? What is Peter doing? What would you be doing? What's Peter doing? The Lord gives rest to the righteous. Because they trust in him. This is a picture of someone who completely trusts the Lord with his life. And if he's living his last day on earth, he trusts the Lord. If you're a Christ follower today, 
There's nothing that has happened, is happening, or will happening, happen in your life that hasn't been sifted through the sovereign fingertips of God. You can trust him. In a world where it's difficult to know who and whom we can trust in, you can trust him. This is a display of Peter's absolute trust. He's being guarded by 16 soldiers, between two smelly soldiers chained to them, and he's fast asleep. Now, Peter has a history of falling asleep. He has a history of falling asleep when he shouldn't fall asleep. But I don't think this is the case. I think this is a picture, again, of absolute trust. I trust you, Lord. And trust is learned, isn't it? Trust is learned. Peter has learned how to trust Jesus. Wake up, Jesus. The boat is sinking. The storm is fierce. What's Jesus doing? I'm sinking. This is the same Peter that was sinking in the waters, and he's seen the mighty hands of Jesus reach down and pull him up out of the waters. Peter has learned how to trust the Lord. You must learn how to trust the Lord day by day, moment by moment, placing your hope and your trust in Him. Trust is built in two ways. I counsel every couple about this. Trust is built in two ways. Doing the right thing and doing it over time. Doing the right thing and doing it over time. And oftentimes we forget that second one, doing it over time. Peter has seen Jesus do the right thing, the righteous thing, over and over and over again. And it's been over time that he's seen Jesus do that. He's learned how to trust Jesus. We must learn how to trust him the same. Now let me say this. Let me say this because we're talking about rescue. Sometimes Jesus rescues us physically, and sometimes today Jesus rescues us in a non-physical way. Sometimes Jesus heals you from a sickness or a disease, and sometimes Jesus heals you in eternity. But Jesus always rescues when we call upon him. We have to pay attention to the text. James is killed. Peter is rescued. And they live side by side, these two stories do. There's tragedy and triumph right here in chapter 12. One is rescued physically. The other is rescued in eternity. And why does God choose to rescue one and not the other? It's a mystery, but we have to trust him and his sovereign hand in our lives. The more, friends, you become aware of God's presence in your life, his presence in your struggles, the less you will fear. Some of you need to hear this message today. You don't need to be afraid anymore. Because of Christ, the very worst thing that could happen to you, death itself has been defeated. Paul said it this way, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't have to be afraid anymore because Jesus is with me, my great rescuer, and I trust in him. How to be rescued, number three, get up and follow. Get up and follow. You got to recognize your need, first of all. You got to recognize that you can't do it. No one else can do it. Only Jesus can. You got to trust in him alone. And then thirdly, you got to get up and you got to follow after him. Look at verses 7 through 10, Acts chapter 12. An angel appears. An angel of the Lord stands next to who? To Peter 
in his cell. And the light from the glory of God and the angel appears in that cell. It overwhelms the darkness. And what is Peter still doing? As an angel of the Lord stands next to him and his glory shines in the whole prison cell. (laughs) Sleeping. So what does the angel do? Verse 7, Acts chapter 12. Look at it with me. He hits Peter. Wake up. Wake up, Peter. You're about to be rescued. Some of you need to wake up. And you don't just need to wake up physically. You need to wake up spiritually. What God is doing in your life, what God wants to do in your life, this is the day that the Lord has made. We're not promised tomorrow. So live life today for the fullest, to the glory of God, what he wants to do in you and through you. Wake up, Peter. God's getting ready to do something. And you need to be awake for it. Some of you need to wake up, and some of you need to get up. As soon as he's awake, the the angel says, stand up, Peter. Get on your feet. And what happens immediately when Peter stands up on his feet? The chains fall away. Remember, he had two chains binding him to two soldiers on his left and his right. And as soon as he stands up, the chains fall off. Some of you are waiting for the chains to fall off to stand up. And what the angel of the Lord says to Peter is, stand up and your chains will fall off because they're not shackled anyway. They're not buckled anyway. Because of Jesus, you've been freed. And so many Christians are sitting in prison cells of fear and regret and shame, being shackled with bonds when Jesus has loosed you from all those things. And you need to stand up and walk in the freedom of the Lord. The angel says to Peter, stand up. And as soon as he does, those chains fall off of him. He's no longer bound. He's free. And he says, you got to follow me now. You got to wake up, you got to get up, and now you got to follow me. You got to follow what the Lord wants to do in your life. And you got to get prepared. You got to get your sandals on. You got to get your cloak on. You got to get ready to go and follow after the places and the people that God wants you to go after, the mission and the purpose that God has for your life. So Peter follows the angel. He has no other choice. And all the while, the scripture says that Peter was half asleep. He he thinks that he's dreaming. He doesn't think that this is actually real. But they go through two different gates, and finally they get to the final gate that leads into the city. And that gate does what? It opens of its own accord as they approach it. And, And Peter steps out on the city street, and immediately the angel leaves him. And let's pick up the story here, verse 11. Peter comes to himself, and he says, listen to these words, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and what? Rescued me. He's rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Finally, how are we rescued? How are we rescued? We tell others all about it. We tell others all about it, verses 11 through 17. As soon as Peter recognizes that he's been rescued, what does he do? He, he, he goes to John's mother's house named, named Mary, and he wants to tell the church that's gathered there and praying for him every single thing that has happened. Part of your rescue story is sharing that story with other people. This is so very important. When Peter comes to himself, when he realizes that God has rescued him, he immediately goes and he shares that story with other people. 
I think this is really interesting because this story, Acts chapter 12, is the last time other than one other occurrence in Acts chapter 15 at the Council of Jerusalem that we read Peter's name in the book of Acts. The curtain is closing, it's dropping on the story of Peter, and the curtain is rising on the story of Paul. And we learn an important lesson here, beloved, that curtains rise and fall on our stories, but God's story prevails. It's the story of God that matters. It's not about us. The curtain will one day drop on our story, but the story of God continues. And as many days as Peter has left, he wants to tell the story of God, to give God glory for his rescue. He goes and he knocks on the door. And ironically, (laughs) God rescues Peter from prison. All the other doors open, the 16 different guards and all the other stuff. When he gets to the church, to the house where they're meeting and gathered, this door isn't opened because she's so excited Rhoda's so excited that she goes and she proclaims to the rest of the church that Peter's, Peter's here. And look at verse 15. What's their response to her? You must be out of your mind. It's not an only God story if someone doesn't say to you, you're out of your mind. When you've got an only God story, something that only God has done in your life, and if you're a Christ follower, you have an only God story. He's rescued and redeemed you, and only he could do that. And it's a story worth telling and giving him glory for. But you don't have an only God story unless someone in your life somewhere says to you, you've got to be out of your mind. And they say that because only God could do it. It's a miracle. Only God could have rescued him. And look at verse 17, what Peter says to them. Once they finally open the gate and they see that, yes, God's done something miraculous. This is an only God deal. Peter motions to them to what? Be quiet, be quiet. Because Jerusalem is a dangerous place. Herod is still persecuting the church. He'd like nothing more than to recapture Peter and all of those believers, believers and put them to death. He motions for them to be quiet. And then, he, then what does he do? He describes to them how the Lord brought him out of the prison. He tells them this only God story. And you need to be able to describe to other people how the Lord has worked in your life. You need to be able to share your story with others because God uses that to encourage us and to remind us that he is able, that he can rescue and redeem us. And then what does Peter say? He shares his story with them. He describes the whole thing. And then he says, go and tell James. Now, this isn't James the apostle. He's been killed. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who's the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. Go and tell James and the brothers all that has happened. Go tell this rescue story to them. Tell them all about it so they'll be encouraged and they'll give glory to God. Do you want to be rescued today? Do you need to be rescued today? You've got to recognize your need. That unless God comes through, you're through. And therefore, you've got to put your complete and absolute trust in him. Jesus is not your co-pilot. You're in the back of the plane. He's in the cockpit by himself. Absolute trust in him. You've got to get up and you've got to follow. You've got to wake up. And then you got to go and tell others all about it. Tell them the only God story and give him the glory for it. Now, just to finish out chapter 12 as we finish our series here, 
Herod awakens the next morning, and guess what? He's not happy. Not a happy camper. Peter has escaped again. He's been rescued again. He can't believe it. So he examines all the soldiers, all 16 of them, and they tell him, we don't know how this happened. This is an only God thing. We, we, we have no idea. He was just gone. And Herod executes every single one of them. A few days later, he puts on his royal robes. He gets all spiffied up. And he goes and addresses another group of people. Remember, he's the ultimate crowd pleaser, people pleaser, politician. And the people that are listening to him, they say these words. This is the voice. Look at verse 22. This is the voice of a God. Herod, you have the voice of a God, not of a man. And Herod thinks for just a moment, yeah, I, I do. And right at that moment, the angel of the Lord, the Bible says, strikes him down, dead. Same angel that, that tells Peter to get up strikes Herod down. And we learn a valuable lesson here, that God has the final word. God has the final word on your story. God has the final word in my story. God has the final word in the story. Look at verse 24. But the word of God, after all this happened, but the word of God increased and multiplied. God's story continued. God always has the last word. I love that we're finishing this Beyond series at chapter 12 because chapter 12 in the book of Acts gives us a glimpse into what life must have been like for the early church, for Christ followers just like us living in the first century. We see in chapter 12 both triumph and tragedy, don't we? They live side by side, and we must expect nothing less in our lives today. We too will experience triumphs and tragedies. Let us not be surprised or discouraged when we experience them, but let us also know, as the church knew in Acts, that God has the final word. He has the final word over your life and my life. I want to close today by reading from the words of the very man who was rescued in Acts chapter 12, from Peter himself. These are words that he wrote years later, and I think they're appropriate for us to hear today. 1 Peter 4 Verses 12 through 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. To him alone be the glory today. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, you are the maker of heaven and of earth. The same hands that formed the stars formed each of us in our mother's womb. And you know our names and you know the very hairs on our head. You have proven your love to us and shown it perfectly through your son, Jesus. So help us today to trust you, to call upon you for our rescue, and to give you all the glory for it. We believe you today, Jesus, and we proclaim that despite our struggles and the tragedies of this world, you have the final word. And his name is Jesus, our great rescuer.
We give you the glory today. Amen.